Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your big questions drive brains on, your curiosity shapes each episode, and your support can help make more episodes of the podcast that you love. You can make a tax-deductible year-end gift to BrainsOn at brainson.org slash donate. Welcome to Camp Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Also, where we have pizza every Friday. We've got swimming, archery, arts and crafts, and competitive mystery sounding. Not to mention awesome lessons about the science of our national parks. Exactly. In fact, that's what we're about to do now. Come on, grab your bunkmate, and let's go. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from NPR News and Southern California Public Radio. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Carter Watley. Hello! Hi, Molly. Carter is helping us out with our series on national parks because he has a special connection to one of them. What is that, Carter? Um, I lived 13 years in Yosemite National Park. That's pretty cool. If you want to hear more about what it's like to grow up in a national park, check out our episode on Wind Cave. But today, we're going to the opposite side of the country. Producer Jeff Jones is taking us to a national park on the eastern edge of the United States. I'm in the state of Maryland, standing on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean. This white sandy beach stretches 60 kilometers, or 37 miles, along a barrier island called Assateague. It's so beautiful here. White ocean surf, rolling natural sand dunes. And lots of the animals that you'd expect to see at the beach. There's seagulls, there's crabs, sometimes there's even dolphins out there in the water. But also on this beach is something that makes Assateague highly unusual. Horses. Wild ones. Normally there's one stallion and then his mares and offspring. In this case we have a band of, with just one mare. And our largest band at the moment is uh, one stallion and 11 mares. That's National Park Ranger Allison Turner. She knows every single one of these horses very well. The mother here is N2BHS, and the S tells us she was born in 1994. There are dozens of horses on Assateague Island National Seashore. It's a unit of the National Park Service. The horses here have probably been around for more than 300 years. They don't name the horses here, but each one has a number. Allison knows those numbers by heart. He's N2BHS-AG. In fact, this is the son of the mare we were just looking at in the parking lot. People love these horses. And in the summer, they come to Assateague Island not just to swim and sunbathe, but to watch the horses. They're not hard to find. For the most part, they're pretty quiet. But here's the sound of one of them eating grass right by the side of the road. Whether you're recording them with a microphone or a camera, you have to stay a safe distance away from the horses. They look calm and peaceful, but... 
These are wild horses, even though they're used to people being around them, they see people year-round. But uh, we want to make sure people understand that doesn't mean they're tame animals. They are wild. They're in natural social groups. They're, they make their own way. They find their own food and shelter. And um, they will bite, they will kick, they will charge if they feel threatened. And uh, we want to make sure that people keep their distance. I'm driving the main road down the middle of this narrow island with Ranger Allison to learn about the horses of Assateague. Part of what happens when horses go wild is they naturally divide up into bands. Those are groups of horses with usually one male called the stallion and maybe a few females called mares, along with whatever babies were born recently. Those are called the foals. There can be drama in these bands. Now here's someone walking right down the road. Uh, a horse, what do we know about this one? And I think this is um, a bachelor stallion. And uh, he got into a fight last week and um, he lost his um, mare and foal to another one that's a little bit farther south now. So. But this is important to note. When a horse gets hurt on Assateague, it doesn't get help from people. Not from Ranger Allison, not from a veterinarian, no one. These horses are on their own. That's part of the park's mission, to keep them wild. But the park has other missions, too. I'm back out on the white sand beach, and off in the distance to the north, I see the towering hotels of Ocean City. It's a tourist town, completely packed with buildings and parking lots, mini golf courses. I think I can make out the Ferris wheel at the amusement park there. Ocean City is on a barrier island, too. In fact, that island and this one used to be the same island till the ocean tore a hole through it during a storm in the 1930s. That may have been a stroke of good luck for the ecosystem here on Assateague. We exist because we are one of the few remaining natural barrier islands that has absolutely no development on it. So we're special that way. That's National Park Ranger Kelly Taylor. She told me there once were plans to develop the island with homes and shops like the islands nearby. But they were scuttled by a combination of bad weather and growing pressure to preserve this place. To preserve it as one of the last places to see the way a barrier island works. This tiny journey across a narrow island is a great way to see birds and plants that are specially adapted to sandy soil and salty sea spray. And when it's your job to preserve an important ecosystem like this, it's also your job to get rid of stuff that doesn't belong there. Ranger Allison took me to one spot on the island that had just been cleared of a plant called, what's it called? Phragmites, or a common reed is also what it's called. Phragmites. It's a grass, but it's taller than me. It's a very tall grass with a feathery seed head, and um, we have it. It's become established all over the island, so we decided, okay, we, we need to try to minimize this uh, invasive. Invasive, as in invasive species, as in a plant or animal that has started living in an ecosystem but doesn't actually belong there. And here's what Ranger Allison told me when I asked why they're a problem. It's not adapted to that habitat, and so it may not have any... Uh, 
predators, say if it's an animal, in the case of the plant, maybe nothing feeds on it. There may be no natural way to keep it in check. It's not in balance with the rest of the species in the area, and so it can take over. And one of the, the goals of a national park area is to keep the habitat in as, as natural a condition as possible, with the, the native species looking the way it should for a seashore. And so that that's why we try to find and eliminate any invasive type species. Okay, so uncomfortable question here. Are the horses of Assateague an invasive species? They are. Uh, I did not want to hear this. The wild horses are so awesome. Why do they have to be invasive? What harm are they doing anyway? They have four feet and they eat all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you have a whole lot of them, that's very that's very hard on Assateague. This is Ranger Liz Davis. I asked her and Ranger Kelly to explain what happens when there are too many horses on the island. Um, Of course, eating the grass that should normally be maybe two or three feet high ends up being sometimes two or three inches high, if that. Mm -hmm. So they they can be hard on the place. Think about things like fiddler crabs, which are hiding out. You don't see fiddler crabs every day. But fiddler crabs are excavating their little holes and they're very busy in the mud But they can't do that if the horses are constantly standing there. And another thing is, like, for example, the secretive birds, like the marsh rails and things like that, who really rely... Secretive birds? Yeah, totally. They're hiding out all the time. And they're really cool. Like, they blend in perfectly. And you'll see, like, a rail, and he'll have his head straight up in the air, and he's standing perfectly still so that he or she, it, is just perfectly blended in with the background. They need the tall grass in order, because it's kind of hard to be a bird that stands, you know, like a foot and a half tall, but the grass you're trying to hide out in and be a secret, you know, so nobody can find you. If the grass is only six inches tall, you're kind of out of luck. And you certainly can't build a nest there either right, and, right. and hide hide your eggs and babies. Yeah. So. so having too many non-native horses around makes life tough for the native crabs and birds, not to mention the grasses that the horses like to eat. So what's the answer here? When it was the exotic Phragmites grass, the park sprayed and burned and treated the area until the problem was gone. So what about the horses? Here's Ranger Allison again. They were introduced to Assateague, and so they are um, an invasive, technically an invasive. But we have the other side of it, which is that they're what would be considered a desirable exotic because they have a cultural history here in the area. And there's the other thing that the National Park has to do. It's not just about maintaining a natural ecosystem, and it's not just about making it possible for people to come out and enjoy it, but it's also about maintaining the culture of this part of the country. And the horses of Assateague are part of that culture. Even if they are an invasive species, they are still, as the park rangers put it, desirable. So see if you can find the word that each of these park rangers uses all the time to talk about this tricky line they have to walk. So it's really important to kind of find that balance. But we've been we're finding a balance where we can reduce the number of horses and and see recovery in the the habitat. Fewer horses is exactly the the the, the sweet balance that yeah. we need. The key to reaching that sweet balance: keep the horses, but make sure there aren't too many. That's where the real science starts. Brains on. More from Assateague Island National Seashore in a moment, but first, it's time to put your ears to the test with the mystery sound. Mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? Um, maybe a bug or a bee? (gasps) 
Good guess. We'll be back with the answer right after this. Do you have a mystery sound you'd like to share with us? A question you want answered on the show? Or maybe you just want to send us a drawing or a high five. Email us anytime. We're at brainson at m as in Minnesota, pr.org. Or you can find our mailing address at our website, brainson.org. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving a review in iTunes. It really helps other kids and families find out about the show. Now's the time in the show when we send high fives to all the kids who fuel the show with their creativity and energy. Here's the most recent group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. Zarin from Anna Maria Island, Florida, Isaac from Duluth, Senna from Franklin, Tennessee, Seth and Carson from Sacramento, Bert, Hannah, and Abby from Sydney, Australia, Nate from Quincy, Massachusetts, Ellie from San Luis Obispo, California, Josiah from Washington, D.C., Jonah from Chicago, Blake, Jordan, and Shay from Charlottesville, Virginia, Damian and Finley from Durham, North Carolina, Lydia and Elliot from Chapel Hill, Maverick from Sherman Oaks, California, Vera and Lido from Seattle, Harper and Henry from San Diego, Sebastian from Pittsburgh, Miles from Providence, Rhode Island, Hugh and Liam from Canton, Georgia, Lilith from Olympia, Washington, Luke from Andover, Massachusetts, Elsa from Boulder, Colorado, and Ezra and Noah from East Setauket, New York. Before we learn more about those wild horses, let's go back to the mystery sound. Let's hear it one more time. Any new guesses? Um, yeah, like a bug or a bee or a wasp flying around. You are totally right. It is a bee. Yay. (laughs) To hear about the special bees at one national park, here is Emily McDermott from Pinnacles National Park. At Pinnacles National Park, we have some of the highest bee diversity per unit area of any place ever studied. And when we think about bees, most of us think about honeybees or bumblebees. And these bees are what we call social. They live together in a big hive with the queen. Uh, but social bees are actually very rare, and they only make up a few of the other bee species here at Pinnacles. And so almost all our bees are solitary bees, meaning that they make their own nests and take care of their own young. And about one in six of our bee species don't even make nests. Instead, they'll lay their eggs in the nest of other bees, and their young eat the food that the other mother bee left behind for her young. And these bees are actually called cuckoo bees, like the cuckoo bird. And another thing to keep in mind about bees is that most bees don't look like honeybees or bumblebees. They range in size from a sesame seed uh, all the way to the size of your thumb. And they're not just striped yellow and black, but they come in many colors, including black, brown, bronze, and we have metallic green and blue. We're back with the story of a national park that sits in the Atlantic Ocean. It's an island called Assateague, and Jeff Jones has been telling us about the horses there. It's a story about how park rangers are giving people a chance to see how horses behave in the wild, while also protecting the native plants and animals from the effects of the horses. But Jeff, before we go back to the story, can I ask a question? Yeah, sure, Carter. What's up? You said the horses got to Assateague hundreds of years ago, but how did they get there? Oh man, wouldn't it be cool? Carter, if these horses were the descendants of horses that were thrown into the sea when a Spanish galleon was shipwrecked in a storm. Yes. That is not what happened. At least it's very unlikely that that's what happened. It's a great legend, though, and it persists in Maryland. But the rangers at Assateague told me that it's a lot more likely that farmers on the mainland who were farming there before the United States was even a country, 
they just put some of their horses out on the island, probably to avoid the taxes for putting up fences on the mainland. And then they just brought the horses back when they needed them. Over time, the horses weren't needed, or maybe they were forgotten about, and they were left behind. And over time, they returned to their wild ways. The cats that we see out and about in our neighborhood that no one owns, they're probably feral. That means that they used to be tame, or at least their ancestors used to be tame, but now they're running wild. And they behave differently than house cats. So the same goes for the horses. They're feral, too. And that's one of the cool things about these horses at Assateague. Visitors get to see how horses behave when they're left on their own to live in the wild. It's not like seeing horses on the farm. That is cool. Very cool. That shipwreck legend actually brings up another interesting point. There's a book about Assateague Island that a lot of kids still read. Carter, have you ever heard of the book Misty of Shinkateague? Um, no, I have not. It's a book written in the 1940s. It won some awards back then. And it's about two kids and some of the Assateague horses. It starts with that Spanish shipwreck scene. It's very dramatic, and that's part of why the legend persists, I think. But it also describes an event that still happens today, where the horses are rounded up and forced to swim across a channel to another island. It's really dramatic. Why do they do that? Well, some of the horses are sold off to raise money for the volunteer fire department there. But here's what the rangers want to be really clear about. That does not happen in the national park that we've been talking about. It happens on the Virginia half of the island, and the national park is on the Maryland half. How do they keep the horses apart? Well, there's, there's just a fence. There's literally a fence right on the border between Maryland and Virginia. And it keeps the horses from going from one state to the other. But a lot of people who read the Misty books, they come to the national park thinking that they might see the big pony swim. They won't. But the popularity of that book is one of the reasons why the horses draw so many people to the park, and it's part of why they're considered what Ranger Allison called a desirable exotic a few minutes ago in our story. Are the horses in Virginia, are they in a park, or are they just, like, hanging out? The horses in Virginia are in a wildlife refuge, but the horses are technically owned by the Volunteer Fire Department. The horses in Maryland, in the National Park, are owned by the American people. And that's one of the reasons that the rangers have such a hard time deciding how to reduce the number of horses. Do the horses like swimming to the island? None of them answered my question when I put that to them. Uh, it is, it's a tradition. It's very dramatic. People come from New York City and even further away to watch this. The title character in Misty of Chincoteague is a horse who does not like that swim. And it's why the kids are so drawn to her. I see. Very interesting. So that brings us to where we left off. How do they make the horses and this natural ecosystem work together? Exactly. And that's where the science comes in. Ranger Allison Turner, the biological technician at Assateague Island National Seashore here in Maryland, wants to show me something in an out-of-the-way corner of the island. And you can see this is more of a natural low marsh. It has low areas where the, the water is flooding in. Um, areas where the, the grass has become very thick and dense, it's, it's recovered. And this used to be just open mud flat with nothing there. It's a beautiful spot. Marshy pools of salt water glisten in the sun. Tall grasses sway in the wind. There are bald eagles flying overhead, and there are probably some of those secretive marsh birds around. Can't really tell they're being really secretive, but the point is, they can be. And a few years ago, they couldn't because their home was someone's favorite meal. Yeah, we do have fewer horses out here now. Um, we were looking at this band off to the right here, which is um, the only one that consistently uses this area. 
And we used to have as many as 20 or 30 or even 40 at times that would consistently use the area in winter and summer. And now with the reduced number of horses over the over generations, we're getting um, far less grazing pressure from the horses, too. And that's helped. That's helped the grasses come back, helped the soil stay loose enough to support other animals. Basically, this marsh is back in balance. So how did they do it? When the rangers here knew there were too many horses, they set a goal. Get from around 170 horses on this part of the island to somewhere between 80 and 100. Rangers Kelly Taylor and Liz Davis told me that that number should be enough to keep the horses healthy, but not enough to overwhelm the ecosystem. So how do we get there? Here's what I asked. Why make it so complicated? Why not just move some away from the island? Well, that, you know, that's a good question. Um, that, that might seem obvious since the horses that live on the south end of the island, they get sold off to the public. Why don't we just do that? Well, the horses that live in the Maryland district of Assateague Island are owned by the National Park Service and they're public property. So they belong to all of us. So we are not going to sell them off. Yeah, I think some of these things were thought about, but it was very clear very early on that the American people wanted nothing to do with us selling the horses. And, you know, it was almost, for lack of a better term, with their blessing that we moved forward with the initial experimentation of seeing if PZP was going to work for us. PZP? Porcine Zona Pellucida, and this is... Porcine Zona Pellucida? Yes, yes. It's uh, a protein that comes from uh, unfertilized pig eggs. Okay, then. PZP is a vaccine. It's like a flu shot. Except instead of keeping the horses from getting the flu, it keeps them from getting pregnant. And PZP, it's kind of genius. If you can't get rid of 80 horses right away, do it over time, through attrition. In other words, let the old horses die off naturally, as old horses do, and just make sure there aren't as many young ones to take their place. Basically, stop having as many babies for a while. PZP was the idea of a scientist named Dr. J. Kirkpatrick. Ranger Allison worked with him a lot. And they kept testing, as scientists do, to make sure PZP didn't have other harmful effects on the horses or on the environment. And after a few years, Dr. Kirkpatrick and the rangers at Assateague were ready to institute their plan. Pick which female horses should not have babies next year. Then give them the vaccine, which is easy when you're on a farm. But we're not on a farm, so it's actually hard. Here's Ranger Allison blowing my mind by explaining how to get a vaccine into a wild horse. It's remotely delivered, meaning that it's loaded into a dart and fired from a modified dart gun into the muscles of the horse's hindquarters. And the dart Wait, so there's a right. dart involved? Explain how this works. You don't have to go up to the horse and give it a shot the way I would get a vaccine. So what we do is mix a vaccine up and that's injected into the dart. And that dart's loaded in the dart rifle. And if we get within 25 to 50 meters of the horse, then we're in range and could fire it at the hindquarters of the horse. So it it injects into the muscle. Do you do this? Are you the one to to shoot the darts of the horses? Yes. Yes, I go out and, and do the darting. And usually it's done in March, which is a little bit before the normal breeding season starts. And so they'll it'll prevent any pregnancies. 
initially it was every mayor. And now we're down to um, beginning a couple of years ago, only treating the two-year-olds. And that would be to let them uh, mature a little bit before they have their first foal. Because the more fully grown they are um, and healthier, the more likely the foal is going to be healthier and survive. And did you catch that last part? It's working. It's working so well that only a few horses need to get the vaccine each year now. In fact, after about 20 years of careful vaccination, they hit their goal. There were 89 horses on Assateague when I visited, including six new foals born in 2016. That's smack in the middle of the park's target range for wild horses. And now parks and preserves around the world are using PZP to help reach a balance between the wild horses they love and the ecosystems they rely on. Hey, there's one more thing before we leave Assateague. There's another creature that isn't natural to this island. People. But here we are, visiting it, driving around it, having picnics, taking photos. That's the last part of the balance the National Park Service is trying to achieve here, and really everywhere you find a national park site. How to show people the beauty of this country without ruining that beauty in the process. So if you visit Assateague Island National Seashore, Keep a safe distance from the horses. Stay on the paths and beaches that are meant for people. And stand still long enough to watch a wild place be wild. For Brains On, I'm Jeff Jones. That's our show. You can check out the rest of our series on the national parks at our website, brainson.org, or wherever you usually listen. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. Many thanks to Leslie Watley, Lauren D., and Corey Streppel. You can see photos from more national parks on our Instagram. We're at brains underscore on. And that's our Twitter handle, too. You can also keep up with us on Facebook or by subscribing to our newsletter. You can do that at brainson.org. Thanks for listening.